Good morning. Hey, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you to the worship team. Great job today. Thank you to John for praying out of that song when I was supposed to do that. I know what that's like when you look up and you're like, okay, where's the guy? And he's not there. Hey, I'm Pastor Brian. It's great to have all of you here today. We're in our series called Culture Wars. We're going through the book of First Peter together. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I encourage you to Open it up now to the book of First Peter, we're in chapter 2, and I want to make sure that you understand where this comes from. We didn't say, as a teaching team, we didn't say, we want to do a series on culture wars. We said, a, few, a couple months ago, we said, hey, we want to do a series on the book of First Peter. And as we studied it and prepared in this five-chapter book in the Bible, we realized that as we studied, we realized that this really is all about culture wars. It's about what we're going through today in our culture in 2022 and 2,000 years ago. Peter was going through some similar stuff, and the early church was going through some similar stuff. Peter wrote this first letter to to the churches in the area area of modern-day Turkey, and this letter was written in the context of a time when life was difficult, when the society, the culture, the Roman culture at the time was going in one direction and the Christian culture, which was a new culture, the Christian church was going in another direction. Does that sound familiar? Where the society is going in one direction, culture is going in one direction and the Christian church is going in another direction? That followers of Jesus are trying to stand for God's word and God's truth and yet the culture is moving in a different direction at rapid speed. And this is what we've noticed here in 2022. I feel like in the last 10 years, we saw some statistics last week that, that the culture is changing so quickly. And today now, in the last 10 years, uh, as of, I think, 2020, there are fewer people that go to church that identify as Christians or go to church actively by far than those who do. And so we say as a as a leadership team and as a church, we say, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to teach our kids about this? I feel especially passionate for you young people. Anyone who is 50 or younger, because <laughs> those are the young people. In my mind, that's a, that would qualify as a young person, 50 and younger. Are we good with that? Is everybody good with that? Okay, because I just turned 50 this last week, so that's how I'm, that's how I'm naming young people now. I'll, anyone who's 51 and older, you guys are old. You're out of date, okay? But young people, uh, but us young people, we need this message in First Peter. Now, we do, I do, I, th- I think about our junior hires and our high schoolers. I think, man, the world that I grew up in was so different than the world that you're growing up in, and I want you to hear this. If your parents in here today and you've got those young, youngsters with you, I pray that you'll talk about these topics. I pray you'll talk about this with your kids, with your students, because I think we need to, we need to make this decision. Are we going to stand for what God's word says, or are we going to just go with the flow of our culture? And so last week, we started in chapter one. You can find all that online if you, if you missed that message, but today we're going to go into chapter two. So again, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, First Peter chapter two, and we're titling this message today, Be This in the culture wars, and we're answering this question. More than what we believe, how should Christians actually be in a secular world? 
A lot of people think that Christianity is just about a set of doctrine, doctrines or beliefs or, or values or ideas, and that is not what it is. Christianity is so much more than just what we believe. It's more than just our doctrine. It's about our behavior. It's about how we act in the world, junior hires, high schoolers. It's how you act on Monday, on Tuesday. It's about how you interact with people for those of us who are a little bit older than the junior hires and high schoolers. It's how we act when we go to work. It's, what, it's, it's how we interact with people if going to work is even a thing anymore. If you actually go to work and not just go to your computer and wear something on the top half that's being seen. If you actually go to work or even if you're just interacting on social media, how do you actually act? What does God's word want us to be like in a culture that is going in this direction? And, and I want you to just stop and think about this for a second and I want you to try to anticipate where the Bible might go based on how some Christians have acted. It seems like in our culture that Christians, Christians who wanna stand up for something different, and I, I really want you to think about this because maybe you are in this category or maybe you've just been put, put off by people who are in this category who are just, they, they see something that they disagree with in this culture, in this world, and then they put up a fight and act like a jerk. There are so many Christians who stand on God's word and yet when they engage with the secular world, because that's what we're talking about today, how should I be as a Christian when I'm engaging with the secular, that means non-Christian world, how should I act when I'm engaging with someone that I disagree with? That's another way to say this. How should I act when I'm engaging with someone that I disagree with? In fact, how should I act when I'm engaging with someone that God disagrees with? That's probably the better way to say it. They're at odds with God. Our culture is at odds with God and with God's word. Our culture is staying against God's word. It's offensive to God, and therefore, it's offensive to us, right? Am I getting you fired up enough? I'm trying to get you to get fired up about this. Like, yeah, I'm offended I'm offended at some of the things that the world says to me and to my kids. I'm offended at some of the things that the culture says to me and to my kids and to you and to our churches. It's offensive to me, and so how should I act? Should I get on Facebook? Should I get on Twitter? Should I get on MySpace? And I'm giving you some chances here to interact with this and have a little fun. Uh, should I, you know... How should I act when I see someone on these platforms? How should I act when I see something, someone on these platforms that, that God and I disagree with? Shouldn't, shouldn't I fire back? Shouldn't I fight fire with fire? If they're calling names, shouldn't I call names? If they're, being, if they're just being so rude and offensive, shouldn't I be rude and offensive? Because I see so many Christians that do just this. And this is the name that they're giving to Jesus. They're giving this, they're giving, they're, they're allowing the secular world, and here's what I think happens then, is the secular world is going like this in this direction, and then they see some Christians, not all of them, but a lot of Christians, and here's the thing is I think that the algorithms on social media are gonna promote those arrogant, annoying, offensive voices, and so the Christians that are trying to be a little bit more Christ-like, I'm 
showing you my hand a little bit here today, but the Christians who are trying to be a little more Christ-like don't actually get the airtime because that doesn't, that doesn't sell. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing the secular world, this, the whole culture going in this direction, and then what they're hearing, what they're hearing from Jesus' followers is over here, and it's people who are just as arrogant and obnoxious and ignorant on this side, and they might be saying the right stuff, but they're probably not saying it. Well, we'll see what Peter says. I don't think they're saying it the right way. And so again, more than what we believe, because our beliefs are right. Compared to the Christian world, our belief, or to the secular world, our beliefs are right. There's no question about that. We stand on God's word. We look to God's word in everything we do. So we know that we're aligned with the, the proper opinion on things when we're aligned with God's word. But the question is, how, are, how, are, is, how is our behavior in the world? Is our behavior right? Our beliefs are orthodox. That means right, accurate, straight. But is our behavior orthodox? That's what we're gonna look at today as we open up 1 Peter chapter two. And so we're gonna answer this question today. We've mined this chapter for four things. There are four ways that Christians should be in the world. You should give yourself your own test. If you're a Christian, I wonder how you would do in these four things. If you're someone who's investigating Christianity, you're thinking about joining up, we welcome you, we invite you uh, to consider these four things. This is what God's word says. It's not just in 1 Peter. This is actually how God's word talks about it all over the place. Christians should be this. Number one, Christians should be defined by God's kingdom. We should know that our identity, and I want you to hear this, our identity is in the fact that we are a part of God's kingdom more than anything else. More than what nationality we are, more than the color of our skin, more than our gender, more than our political party, more than anything else. Because all these other things, what do they tend to do? They tend to divide. But, but Peter, all over the place in this chapter, and actually in this whole book, all over the place, he uses this language where he's talking about what your core identity is. Your core identity is that you are a part of God's kingdom. And so I want to give it just, I want to ask you this question, what defines you? How would you answer these questions? What defines you? Is it your physical appearance? Appearance? Maybe you have hair and you think that makes you a better person than me, okay? Well, you're wrong, okay? Maybe it's your ethnic identity. Maybe it's your job or your income level. That's what defines you. Maybe it's your political affiliation that defines you. Now, I'm not saying these things aren't important, but the question we're asking is, what do you allow to define you? Some people don't even ever ask that question. They don't even realize that their identity, their self-worth, their self-esteem is so wrapped up in this, this thing that is outside of them that they allow to define them rather than what God's word says should define us. And I want you to think about that. What are, I mean, be really honest. I, tur I turned 50 this week. So over these last few years, I feel like I've had to be really honest about some of these things because I think the older you get, some of you who are, who are a little bit older understand this, the older you get, the more you have to ask yourself what really matters and what, what makes me a valuable person. What kind of leg, I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to think about legacy. What kind of legacy do I want to leave? I didn't think about those things when I was 15 years old. 
But you begin to think about things that matter a little bit more the older you get. And you say, and so pretty soon you say, well, what really defines me? I see Austin, our youth leader over here. He's in this Green Bay, you know, he's, he's in this Green Bay hat. He's got this long flowing hair. And, um, and he doesn't realize that Green Bay didn't make it to today. <laughs> you know? But he's still proud. He's, still, he's like, I don't care. And I get that because I'm a Bears fan. And the Bears never make it to Super Bowl Sunday. Those things don't define you. But we, we like to wear, those are things that we wear on the outside, but we think that they're integral to who we are. But, but they're actually not. What's integral to who we are as followers of Jesus is the fact that we are sons and daughters of God, that we are defined by God's kingdom. So here's how Peter says it. Chapter two, verse 10. Once, he says, you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. So he's writing this, this to, to the church, and the church was comprised of Jewish people and the Gentile people, the non-Jewish people. And remember, you have to understand this, that this was a big deal 2,000 years ago that the church, before, before the church came about 2,000 years ago, before Jesus died and went to the cross and rose from the dead, and then the church was born through his, his followers, before the church was a thing, there was just the Jewish people, the Israelites. And so the Israelites thought, like, thought that they were the ones who were special in God's sight. They thought that they were the ones, the only ones that God cared about. And then Jesus came and did his thing, and then they opened up the door to Gentiles, non-Jews, which is a good thing for us, by the way, because I'm not Jewish. And so, so God opened up the door, and this was this plan all along, he opened up the door to Jews and Gentiles, and so together they made up one church, which was really weird for them because it's almost like Republicans and Democrats or, or Bears fans and Packers fans, right? That all of a sudden we can all be in the same church, even though we have these, some of these differences, we can all be in the same church because the thing that defines us is our, our relationship to God and our identity as, as, as members of the kingdom of God. And this is what he's saying. He says, once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. And he says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And so Jesus becomes this example for us of someone who knew who he was, even though he was rejected by his culture. Does that sound familiar? That we need to know who we are, even though we are being increasingly rejected by our culture. Young people, I want you to hear this. You are going to be rejected by your culture. There it is. You're gonna be rejected by your culture. I don't, I mean, at a level that didn't, wasn't true for me when I was your age, you're gonna be rejected by your culture. Get used to it. Get ready for it. Don't bail on your faith because the most fundamental thing about you, the most important thing about your identity isn't who accepts you. It's not what, what friend group you get accepted into. The fundamental thing about your identity is that, that you, you are a part of God's kingdom. And I like what he says there in verse four. He says, you are coming to Christ. That's, a, that's an interesting way to say it. He didn't say you have come to Christ. He said you are coming to Christ. So it's almost like there's, like a, there's a bit of a process here, isn't there, for Christians? There's a bit of a process here. We haven't really fully arrived. In fact, Expositor's Bible Commentary says, Christians have come to Christ in salvation, that's true, but their continual coming is also required. It's gonna be a battle every Monday. 
and then Tuesday, and then Wednesday. And maybe on a Sunday you come to church and you hang out with your friends and, and, and you, you hear God's word and you worship with God's people and all this stuff is great, but man, it's a different thing when you go out into the world and that world is against you. That world is, is saying stuff that you don't agree with. This is when you have to first and foremost remember that you are defined by God's kingdom. Now, out of that come the other three things from chapter two in 1 Peter. So, but we have to start with this because your identity is the core of who you are. It's not some add-on. It's not something that you've just added to who you are. It is who you are. You are a part of God's people. You are defined by God's kingdom. So, therefore, look at what it says as we read on. Therefore, you should be a light to your neighbors. Now, again, this is, this is maybe a little surprising because maybe, maybe, You've gotten the idea from some of the other Christians out there that get promoted. Maybe you've gotten the, the idea that because you're a part of God's kingdom, you should be a jerk to your neighbors. Because that's what some Christians do. Because you're right and they're wrong, so you should be a jerk. And I want you to know this. You are right and they are wrong. If you stand for God's word, you're right and they're wrong. But, but Peter's response then is to be a light to your neighbors. It's not to be a jerk to your neighbors. Let's read it together. It says in verse nine, but you are not like that for you are a chosen people. Look, there's more of your identity. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, God's very own possession. Man, he is building you up. And then he says this, as a result, in other words, because of this, because of who you are, because of your identity in Christ, because of who you are, you can show others the goodness of God. Isn't that crazy? He doesn't say because of who you are, you put them in their place. Because of who you are, you go ahead and fight fire with fire, be a jerk back to him. No, he says, because of who you are, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of, the, out of darkness into his wonderful light. Here's the thing. People who know who they are don't have to act like they're something else. People who know, the young people hear this, the most secure people in your school are the ones that don't have to dress up like everybody else. The most secure people in your school are the ones that don't have to talk like everybody else. They know who they are. They're not trying to be something else to join, to join a group. They're not trying to be something, they don't have to prove themselves to anybody. This is how Jesus was. Jesus was so secure, he's the most secure being to ever walk the, the face of the earth. Jesus was so secure, he knew who he was, and therefore he didn't say a word when they were killing him. He didn't say a word, because he knew who he was. Jesus didn't have to talk like that to people. Why? Because he knew who he was, and so as a result, he showed others the goodness of God, for he called you, and this is true for us as well, he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, so be a light to your neighbors, this is what God wants us to do. I know it goes against our instincts. I'll admit it, it goes against my instincts. If you've ever driven next to me on the road, you'd understand it goes against my instincts. Uh, Sundays are hard for me because there are too many Sunday drivers out there. I'm like, would you drive your car, right? Because I'm, I'm, still, I'm still incomplete. I'm still imperfect. God is still working on me. God's still working on me. I'm still coming to Christ, right? And so it's hard for me. It's, and, and some of you maybe have temperaments like me that, 
that it's easy. You want to kind of you want to kind of engage with someone and, and get into that fight. You want to be a jerk because they're being jerks, and that's not what Peter says. Peter says, "Be a light." You know who you are, so be a light. This is what he calls us to do. And then as we read on, verse 11, 12, he says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. And here he says it again. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. This is what he, he says, this isn't your home. we saw this in chapter one, he used the language that we we're foreigners, we're, re, we're temporary residents and foreigners. This isn't your home, this is not, this is, you're not a part of this kingdom, you're not a part of the kingdom of this earth. And so he says, so, so live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. It's almost like God cares about our unbelieving neighbors. Did you hear that? It's almost like God cares about our unbelieving neighbors. It's almost like God actually cares about the people who spit in his face. He cares about the ones who are so offensive to him. He cares about them. He cares about them so much that he tells his people to be nice. He tells his people to, to live properly among them so that maybe when they see our lives, it could impact potentially their desire to join us wouldn't that be something if everyone who professed to be a Christian actually acted like Jesus? Wouldn't that be something if we were kind and loving even when people persecute us? This is what Peter is calling us to. He says it's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people. I love it. Finally, he uses a word I can relate to. Yes, Peter, they're ignorant people. You got it right, they're ignorant. But he says, but yeah, but look. He says, it's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those people, even when they make foolish accusations against you. He's not saying they're right. He's saying they're wrong, they're ignorant, they're foolish, but you should still love them. You should still be a light to them. You should still have an honorable life in front of them. It drives me nuts when I see someone who stands on God's word who doesn't actually love people. Is it just me? It drives me crazy when, when Christians act in the world on social media or otherwise, they act in the world in an unloving way to non-believers. And I know what they would say is, but they deserve it. They're jerks to me. The Bible doesn't give them instructions. It gives you instructions. The Bible gives Christians instructions. And it tells to followers of Jesus It says to followers of Jesus, you need to be Christ-like in love for them. You don't have to agree with them. In fact, you shouldn't agree with them. You should disagree with them because they're wrong and they're foolish and they're ignorant, but that doesn't mean you need to be a jerk to them. This is what Peter is saying. And he goes on in verse four, or chapter four, verse four, we had to pull this in because it's really good. He says, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do, and so they slander you. You wanna know why some people speak like this against Christians? Is because we don't live like them. 
Why do non-believers slander us? Why do they, why do they gaslight Christians in our culture? Because we have different values. And so they have to try to spin something. They have to try to twist something. It's crazy to me that our culture talks about morality. The morality of our culture is not biblical morality. It's not biblical morality. They're, they're gaslighting, they're twisting, they're manipulating the truth. And yet, and yet, Peter says, we should be a light to them. If you care about what God's word says, be a light to your neighbors, even though you disagree with them. That's what God's word says. Number three, and this one might be even harder. Good thing we're running out of time. Be respectful to human authority. And you say, but wait, I didn't vote for them. But wait, they're not godly. But wait, they go against God's word. Yet Peter says, be respectful. He says, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials that he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. And again, you say, I, nope, nope, I'm not gonna submit. I'm not gonna submit to human authority. I'm not gonna do it because I don't agree with them. But look, the motivation is right there, the first four words, for the Lord's sake. Don't do it for their sake. Don't do it because of their policies. Don't do it because of their work ethic. Don't do it because of their moral lives. Because chances are, none of those things are actually true. Do it for the Lord's sake. This is what Peter says. For the Lord's sake, submit to human authority. Now, I want to make sure you understand something. There is an exception to this. And Peter himself shows us this exception. Here's the exception. It's when they demand that we disobey God. When they demand that we disobey God, then you don't have to, you don't have to submit to their authority. That's what Peter himself did back in Acts chapter five. This is probably 10 or, 10 or 20 years before he writes 1 Peter. Acts chapter five, verse 28. Uh, the Jewish leaders come to Peter and the apostles at, as they're starting the church, and they said, we give you strict orders never to teach again in Jesus' name, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human authority, okay? And now, in 1 Peter, he's saying, submit to human authority. I don't understand it. It's, again, it's because they're clearly saying something that is against God's word, and when it comes to God's word versus what human authority says, always choose God's word. But that's not how it always works. That's not the choice we're always confronted with. Sometimes it's just, I don't want to do what you're saying. It doesn't necessarily go against God's word. Just, I don't want to do what you're saying there. And then Peter says, respect human authority. Even if you didn't vote for him. Respect human authority. That's number three. You can talk about that more in small group, but I'm done with it for now because we got to go. Number four. The last thing that he says is to be connected to God's people. 1 Peter 2.17, he says, respect everyone. Isn't that interesting? Respect everyone, he says, and love the family of believers. I think there are a lot of Christians who don't do this well, and that's why they don't thrive in these culture wars. It's so interesting that, that Peter has something to say for, for for your neighbors, so he has something to say for the non, your non-believing neighbors, he says, be a light to them. 
He has something to say for the authorities, our authorities. He says, honor them and respect them. Obey them as long as it doesn't go against God's word. Again, not what you would expect in a culture that was, by the way, did I mention this was a culture that was more ungodly than our culture today? This was a culture, by the way, that was starting to actually persecute Christians. In fact, remember, Peter ends up dying at the hands of the authorities, whom he's telling the Christians to respect. So in case you're like, well, Peter probably had it easier than we do. No, no, he didn't have it easier than we do. He had it harder than we do, and he still says all this. But this last thing I think is the key for us is that that we're supposed to be connected to God's people. He says, love the family of believers. And he talks about this later in the letter, but he's talking about the fact that we need one another, and we need one another if we're gonna make it in this culture This is why it breaks my heart to see some of those statistics of the young people that are not even going to church anymore. It's it's so normal now for a kid to go off to, they grow up in church, they go off to college, and then they leave the church. And they never, they're not even a part of a a family of believers anywhere. Peter says you need each other. If If you're gonna succeed in the midst of these culture wars, if you're gonna be able to be a light to your neighbors, if you're gonna be able to respect human authority, you need each other. You need, to, you need to band together and say, guys, let's pray for each other. Let's lift each other up. Just this morning, I prayed two different times with people out in the lobby. I love that. I love that about our church. Thank you to, to Sean and to some of the others that joined me. Say, hey, has anyone prayed for you yet this morning? We're gonna pray for you. And he prayed for me this morning before I got up here. And we prayed for, we prayed, I prayed with some of the other women out there, uh, just joining together, supporting one another, There have been some needs in our church, at Alpine Church, over the last few weeks, just some hard needs, some folks struggling physically with some some situations. And I've loved to see the response of God's people just to pray for one another, to join together and to love one another in a practical way like that. My challenge to you is, if you want to fight this culture war and if you want to do it well, if you want to be obedient to God and his word in the midst of this, then you need each other. We need each other. We need the church. If, this is, if you're just visiting Alpine, we want to invite you to become a part of Alpine Church. We're not perfect, and as long as you're not, then you're welcome to join us. If you're perfect, there's probably another church for you. But this is a church of imperfect people, and we need each other. And we want to, we want to, we want to succeed in everything that God calls us to do in his word. And one of those things he calls us to do is to win in the midst of this culture war. And we invite you to do, to do it with us. Let's pray together. God, I praise you that you are a God who is so gracious and so merciful to us. And even though we are coming to Christ, certainly we have come to you. Our salvation is sure because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. But yet we're still coming to you because we're imperfect and none of us does it right all the time. But I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the strength and the courage God, to be a light to our neighbors, to respect human authorities, and Lord God, to love one another. And we can do all of these things because we know who we are in you. We know what our identity is in you. We're not trying to be something we're not. But God, we're just trying to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for setting an example that was so powerful 
to see in the midst of persecution, in the midst of your own death on the cross, you loved the people who put you there. And we're those people. It was our sin that put you there. You absorbed the offense and you went to the cross. And God, I pray that we as your people would be men and women and young people who would absorb the offensive culture that is standing against your word. God, that we would fight it with love, that we would fight it with compassion. And God, that when people see that, everyone, Lord God, that you've appointed to eternal life, God, that they would open their eyes to it and that they would then join us. Let us be people who follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we pray it. For your sake, in Jesus' name, amen.